0: The date for the next European election has been set. From the 6th to the 9th of June 2024, every person in every member state will go to vote. Be part of the largest democratic exercise in Europe. Do not let someone else
1: choose for you. Vote.
0: Europe goes to the polls in June against the backdrop of a rising far right and war in Ukraine.
1: Here in Germany, tens of thousands have turned out to protest against the rise of the far right, the Alternative for Germany party has grown in popularity and is now second place in the national polls.
0: The Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orbán continues to cast a shadow over the EU.
1: We Hungarians decided not to take that risk, to mix up our society. That's the reason why they attack Hungary so harshly and that's the reason why my personal reputation is very bad. You know, I'm, I'm treated like the black sheep of the European Union personally.
0: The anti-liberal autocrat seems closer to Moscow than Brussels. Is he damaging European ideals?
1: We keep open all the communication line to the Russians. This is a strategy, so we are proud of it. No, no. We are proud of it to do it. We are the only one who is speaking on behalf and in favour of the peace.
0: Donald Trump seems set for the White House. What impact will that have on the Union and its support for Ukraine? The European Union is possibly as bad as China, just smaller. And, of course, the war in Gaza. Will the EU stand with Israel no matter what?
1: The EU diving in headfirst, draping our parliament in the Israeli flag, aiding and betting in war crimes including the bombing of a hospital and still we find it impossible to say that Palestinian lives matter.
2: You know, countries like oh, Germany, Hungary and Austria will never publicly confront Israel regardless of what happens.
0: Big questions, here to answer them. I have Shona Murray, the Europe correspondent with Euronews now we are in Belfast here. Um, we no longer take part in European elections because we're no longer part of the EU. Nevertheless, we live in a very joined up, globalised world and elections to the European Parliament will have effects here in Northern Ireland, not least because of the Windsor Protocol. Can we see any trends developing as the European parties start to campaign for these elections? Or is the bloc too diverse? Is it, is it impossible to make predictions in terms of a European election?
2: I think you can make predictions around individual member states and then decide uh, collectively how that will impact the groups in the European Parliament uh, like for example if you look at Ireland the polls are showing that there will be a good result for the left and the far left like the likes of Claire Daly would will uh, keep her seat that Sinn Féin could get two seats um, that Barry Andrews could potentially keep his seat but be one of the last in Dublin And um, so that's um, Ireland but then if you look at the trends in Europe uh, the likes of the Netherlands we saw a huge rise in vote for Geert Wilders who is a far right candidate um, anti-Muslim been you know using racial slurs for decades. I've known him for quite some time and that was a bit of a shock. And you see the rise of the far right in in Germany, the rise of the Alternative for Deutschland, who've got about 20 something percent of the vote, although we saw just recently some massive demonstrations against the rise of the far right in germany but you, you wonder if that will actually get the vote out i think one of the concerns that people have is that the european elections are not um the priority for lots of people they kind of just send people they know their their faces of rather than the the substance of what they're saying and then or a, and there's often a low turnout and the problem is that the far right tend to be quite agitated and also you know pretty enthusiastic about ensuring that they do get into power So a low turnout is bad for the mainstream or the centre that people would like to see hold because the impact of having the far right taking over the European Parliament does have a huge response or result for the rest of the lives of Europeans because of the, the way the European Parliament can vote on major issues.
0: Just in terms of the threat of the far-right, the so-called far-right to the EU itself. I noticed the leader of Germany's far-right alternative for Deutschland has said that her party will campaign for a Brexit-style vote on EU membership. Now, of course, the core of the EU from the very beginning has been France and Germany.
2: Leaders of the AFD have promised to ditch the European Union if
1: elected. They say they'll follow the example of Britain and quit the Brussels-led bloc.
0: Could this right-wing type of politics this populism this response to globalism i suppose could this threaten or fundamentally change the eu itself
2: well it could definitely change how the eu uh, engages in certain policies particularly when it comes to the um the environment you know that they would have far less enthusiasm for protecting the environment, dealing with the biodiversity crisis. We see a lot of far-right people who are against things like net zero. A lot of them are funded by nefarious forces, you know, fossil fuel. I'm not saying other other parties aren't, uh, by the way, uh, sponsored by, you know, fossil fuel companies and so on. But the far-right tend to disregard more often um, the threat to the planet, to the world, essentially by climate change. So that is, that's a huge issue. And if you had lots of MEPs in the parliament, they would be voting down things like the Green Deal, the uh, renewable energy. So that's a real concern. There's also, you know, the EU is fundamentally about uh, human values and dignity and the far right, as we know, are the exact opposite of that. The far right tend to be racist, um, anti-equality, anti-women, um, uh, pro- you know white power, and that's the type of thing that would diminish what the EU is supposed to be fundamentally about. I mean even for example, in the Parliament this week there's a debate on uh, the rights of workers in Amazon. You know, and that is obviously globalisation, but the far right don't care about workers. Tent, they don't tend to take care about workers, even though they they criticise globalisation. But Amazon is the sort of um, one of the sort of the epicentres, at the epicentre of globalisation, a company like Amazon. But you wouldn't see the far right engaging in a debate to ensure that workers that are employed by Amazon are given proper breaks or proper treatment or proper payment or proper health care. And there's also other discussions at the EU at the moment. Um, there's the directive from the European Commission on platform workers. These are workers who aren't exactly employed. There's a sort of a grey area because they work for the likes of Uber, um, Deliveroo and so on. And they don't get any holiday pay. They don't get any sick pay. And they're they're often put in treacherous uh, situations. You know, we, we hear so many times of Deliveroo drivers and people on bikes getting beaten up and their bikes stolen and so on, and they don't have any recourse. So there's a direct- directive coming from the Commission with the Parliament will vote on and the Council to see how these people should be treated and the responsibility of platform workers. That's the type of thing that will go out the window and be disregarded if the far right are strong in the European Parliament. So people need to wake up and understand that who they send to the Parliament matters, who they send to, obviously, their their national Parliament matters, but also the EU. Um, so they could indeed change the face. It is a fact,
0: however, is it not, that despite the far right's lack of interest, as you've put it, in workers' rights, that they do fundamentally based themselves on working class support. Is is that a contradiction or is that, am I exaggerating there?
2: No, I think you're right. I mean, I find this as a complete contradiction myself. I, I mean, I, I remember in 2016 covering the Trump um, campaign, you know, all across America, and I couldn't get over the amount of people who were, um, you know, who, who were impacted by poverty, by being left behind, you know, from the Rust Belt areas and so on. And one of the things they wanted to vote Trump in for was to get rid of Obamacare, to get rid of what they called socialised medical support, which would be only benefiting people like them who would never be able to afford private health care and would be in a detrimental position had they arrived in a hospital with a serious disease or, you know, uh, had, had been in a car crash or something. And it's the same thing when you look at businesses that voted for Brexit, you know, small businesses, fisher, the fishing industry and so on. I mean, the fact is that their main export market was the European Union, that they Suddenly found themselves with a pile of administrative labor, a huge cost trying to send stuff into the single market, regulatory standards they had to abide by. And they found this isn't actually so great after all. Or small business owners, small, uh, you know, hoteliers or whatever who can't get staff to work or people who, you know, working, used to work uh, picking fruit and so on. Small and large businesses that voted for Brexit in the end hasn't worked out for them. So it is a contradiction. But... That's unfor- That's kind of the world that we're in right now. I think a lot of it is um, a narrative that's created by the far right, you know, that instead of blaming um, the sort of, well, essentially right wing, centre right or right wing policies, liberal policies or neoliberal policies of the past few decades, they tend to blame immigrants. Even though the immigrants aren't there, maybe in the country a small number of years, they work, they pay taxes. But instead of actually blaming uh, the larger forces that do impact government policy, it's easier to blame immigrants. And I think that we've seen a lot of that throughout the Brexit debate, throughout the Trump ca- campaign.
0: You know, when they let, I think the real number is 15, 16 million people into our country, when they do that, we got a lot of work to do. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. they poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world. They're pouring into our country. Nobody's even looking at them. They just come in. Uh, the crime is going to be tremendous.
2: I mean, nobody discusses the fact that, you know, Trump was... Bankrupt several times, stiffed, um, you know, workers that worked for him right throughout the years. He'd never been a friend of workers, never been a, pre- a friend of of people, um, at the at the bottom. He never supported medical care for poor people. You know, if we've seen throughout his policies over the four years in the White House and so on, it was always about uh, tax breaks for the rich. And yet, somehow, you know, people who were find themselves in limited means think that he's the saviour. So there's the contradiction we saw throughout Brexit as well. I mean the likes of Boris Johnson of all people saying that Others were the elite. I mean, you couldn't get more elitist than Boris Johnson, you know, a man who grew up in Brussels, the son of, uh, you know, an MEP, com- worked, his dad worked in the commission. He went to Eton and Oxford. I mean, he's the, you know, the Bullingdon, he's the epitome of the elite. Same with uh, the Trump and all of his uh, acolytes. But somehow they managed to create this agenda or narrative that other people are the elite and, and it's and it's insane. And that's where we are at right now.
0: I mean I've been to the European Parliament in Strasbourg at least it's a horseshoe uh, shaped uh, and some people ascribe to the um well the compass theory or horseshoe theory of uh, a political theory now people on the far right tend to reject the label people on the far left tend to um embrace the label We expect in certain places and other places that European elections can enhance the far right in a way that national elections don't. I wonder, is there in fact, uh, in your experience covering the European Parliament, is there any common ground between what we would describe as the hard left and the far right?
2: Sometimes you see it when it comes to Russia, because we saw the likes of Salvini um, from Italy, far right uh, minister now in in Maloney's government. Maloney in the past as well, big fans of Putin, you know, throughout the years. And then you see it in the far left in the early days of the Ukraine war and before, you know, as in after 2014 when Putin invaded Crimea, uh, parties like Sinn Féin um, and others in the hard left who voted against resolutions criticizing Russian invasion and also um supporting Ukraine in its fight against Russia. So I mean that was a that was a real typical point where the two of them sort of met or collided or, you know, as you said, were part of that horseshoe theory. You also see it in some debates around um hate speech, where both, you know, often on the far right they they find that you know the idea of hate speech terrible because why can't they burn the quran or or you know say extremely offensive slurs against people of color um, you know you're impeding my my hate or my you know freedom of expression and then you see it on the far left because they believe that it maybe it's a way of government controlling actual speech you know so you see part of the debate happening in that way and then i mean both sides i think um they capture um And in fairness, you can understand part of this. They capture the anger that's out there with the fact that there is so much inequality in the world. I mean, we heard from, we heard at Davos last week that soon we'd have the first trillionaire and that the greatest number of billionaires has increased while the world's the, the number of the, of the amount of people suffering poverty has also increased at the same time, that billionaires have doubled their fortunes from 200 to 400 billion dollars while more and more people uh, are below the poverty line. So the income inequality is horrendous in the world and it's not getting better because you don't see the Jeff Bezos and the Kardashians and the other people you know, having to pay more tax or having to... Uh, you know, suffer what the rest of us will have to suffer, the sacrifice we'll have to make to protect the planet, whereas they go around with their private jets, whereas we'll have to take fewer, you know, holidays. You know, the odd holiday that, you know, people might be able to afford will be higher tax or cost more. So the impact on saving the planet and, um, that you know, to transition to a greener world will be felt more by the rest of us rather than the multi-multi-millionaires, the billionaires who can easily afford it. And they still push governments to be able to pay less tax.
1: The future of the West is in grave doubt. We in the West have not faced a crisis like this for a long time. The ideological wars of the 20th century against the totalitarian powers of Nazi Germany and Soviet Union were terrible, but democratic West rallied and defeated them both. Now the West is at war with itself. We have seen what kind of future the globalist ruling class has to offer. But we have a different future in mind. The globalists can all go to hell. I have come to Texas. Uh
0: (laughs) Shona, Viktor Orbán, the Prime Minister of Hungary, he's never out of the news. I get the impression we don't really know who he is here. We almost have this spitting image caricature. Can you tell us who he is?
2: Well, he has created a bit of a character of himself because of the, the way he continues to just poke and chip away at European values about uh, uh, democracy in his own country. And, um, you know, the language that he uses, I mean, during the, I mean, obviously we're we're still in the, very much in the throes, in the horrific uh, throes of the Russian invasion against Ukraine. In fact, the Russian attacks have increased um, over the last few weeks. But there was a time when, um, and it subsided slightly now, that there was concern that Putin would use uh, nuclear bombs. And, you know, the EU managed to come together for the first time uh, against all the odds and impose these sanctions against Russia trying to, I mean, nobody thought they were going to stop Putin, but at least that there would be some sort of unified position in defense of Ukraine from an economic perspective because the EU isn't a military power. Anyway, um, you know, Orban used to use the language of that these sanctions were a nuclear bomb against the European economy. You know, this sort of hyperbole, which is maybe he was being tongue in cheek. In some ways, he was obviously trying to be bombastic and get meet the headlines. But it's also extremely gratuitous, given that there are people in fear of their lives and people being killed, you know, as he spoke. And then there was um, the language around migration, which he didn't want to tolerate. And he used the terms uh, because it, w- it would be a legal imposition. He said that, you know, um, Hungary was being legal legally raped was the kind of language used, which again is so deeply offensive. You know, and then the one of the reasons why Hungary has had several billion euros withheld is because of laws that he's in, imposed in Hungary against gay people. So that um, LGBT, uh, what he would call propaganda, but what everybody else would call educational information to, to young people who may be gay, that he's banned that for people under 18. And he's likened, you know, he's used language liking, you know, gay people to paedophiles. Now, if you're a young gay person in Hungary and you have that v- much vile against you, that's Extremely damaging to your mental health. And we already know throughout the years how, you know, laws in countries where being gay was a criminal offence, for example, damaged people. And so it's and then, you know, he talks about Muslims as um, invaders and just the type of xenophobic language that we've seen from fascists throughout the decades in Europe.
0: Yet he seems to have the support of the Hungarian people. He has been described as pro-Russian, that is, you know, in terms of the Russian-Ukraine war that he seems to favour Russian victory. He's certainly anti-liberal. He's been even described as anti-democratic. I wonder why is Hungary in the European Union? Is there support well, to be in the European Union? or
2: Oh, there, well, there is. I mean, Hungary is the country, no, remember, Hungary is the country that gets much more out of the EU. It's essentially a net beneficiary. It uh, puts in a couple of billion, gets out... Maybe ten. I can't remember the figures, but I think um, in uh, for this budget, it was due to get about twenty eight billion euro in subsidies in EU funding, cohesion funding. Twenty one billion of that was withheld. Uh, ten billion was given recently. So the the, the Hungary gets so much money from the EU it would be outrageous if they were to leave they also get access to the single market which means their economy gets built and again he has been able to stand outside the sanctions against Russia some of the sanctions that is so for example he he doesn't um, have to abide by the oil ban the gas ban he still can get his cheap energy from Russia no problem he courts Putin his uh, foreign minister has been given I think two possibly three but at least two awards from Vladimir Putin since the U- Ukrainian war has begun. You know, it's it's really flying in the face of Ukrainians who are dying in their hundreds as this man attacks uh, their country, but also has attacked Europe in several occasions. You know, when we see, when we look at the disinformation, disinformation in the United States as well. Yeah, there's lots of reasons to question Orban himself and whether he should have a place at the table at the EU
0: Well, uh, talking about I suppose big characters in politics uh, Donald Trump seems to be hurtling his way back to the White House by all indications. If he was re-elected would that be a burden on the EU?
2: It would be catastrophic for the EU um, because of the, what we're suffering now in regards to Ukraine. I mean, the EU very much sees the Ukrainian war as an existential crisis for the whole of Europe and European security. And obviously, from a NATO perspective, would Trump pull out of NATO? If so, that would be, yeah, so shocking for the EU and its security because of the amount of uh, support, military support U.S. gives to Ukraine and, and has worked in pushing back Russia to a certain extent, and then also if he stayed in NATO, but then voted against any proposals for the protection of Ukraine, and was also there and was able to disseminate information, you know, classified information that that happens at NATO table. So it would be huge. And then we know that he is hostile to the EU. He's a transactional president. The American first idea is that America as a sort of larger power would have the advantage when it comes to negotiations on, you know, trade or, you know, the WHO and so on. So he would like to engage with individual countries. He doesn't like the European Union because it's a competitor in some ways. And also the EU is about regulations, consumer protection regulations, which is something that Donald Trump has no regard for.
0: The European Union is possibly as bad as China, just smaller. OK, it's terrible what they do to us. European Union, take a look at the car situation. They send the Mercedes in. We can't send our cars. And look what they do to our farmers. They don't want our farm products. You now, in all fairness, they have their farmers, so they want to protect their farmers. But we don't protect ours and they protect theirs. I wonder, in the absence of US support and the European countries, uh, mostly obviously EU countries, taking the burden for militarily supporting Ukraine, I wonder, would at some stage, would a Ukraine fatigue... Um, come along, especially if we see uh, the far left and far right doing very well in these elections. Do you think that will happen or do you think that, I suppose, the establishment in Brussels will maintain a stand even if President Trump seems to favour, I suppose, an outcome to the war favourable to Russia?
2: No, I don't think so. I think the EU very much knows how important it is that the U- Ukraine is victorious, whatever way that looks like. Whatever Zelensky and the Ukrainians feel is um, a win. Um, obviously, they want all of their territory back from Russia. That's their ambition. Um, obviously, and every, many people have different opinions as to whether that will ever materialize or it's um, or it's possible, but maybe it is with the full support of the US and the EU behind uh, Ukraine. But um, it, there, it, like I said, there's a re- there's a complete acknowledgement. This this is not just about Ukraine. It's it's about what happens if Putin wins. Does he go after Moldova, Poland, NATO countries? Does that set off a a direct um, confrontation with NATO, what happens to European democracy? if you have um, someone like Russia who has basically taken over a whole part of the continent, what happens to the European Union? It's so cat- it's so catastrophic and so huge. Um, nobody really knows like it's, it's almost unlimited how bad things can get if that were to happen.
0: And obviously, a Ukrainian surrender would lead to probably millions more refugees uh, heading towards Western mm. Europe. The, all of these countries would have to deal with that. And never mind, as you say, the the, the Russian forces uh, much much closer to the heart of Europe. The EU has been seen by many, I suppose, in Ireland, uh, and especially because of the stance of Ursula von der Leyen, as giving Israel uh, an absolute cover no matter what they choose to do and certainly Germany for 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 historical reasons will back Israel no mm. matter what I wonder, I wonder now given the sheer amount of the houses and the infrastructure and the hospitals in Gaza, UN connected people saying, you know, life will no longer be possible in Gaza I mm. wonder if the Gaza population is removed either in part or entirely from Gaza would the EU and Germany still support Israel in that?
2: It's a very hard question because the EU I mean, we've had we've heard that the EU has a consensus on the two state solution. Now, how to achieve that is there is no agreement on. And, you know, you'd wonder maybe there are some countries saying it because it's been policy for so long that they wouldn't want to move away from it because obviously the deter- self-determination of the Palestinians is their Right, and also we've had several UN resolutions um, supporting that. So the EU wouldn't member states wouldn't like to say that they're diverging from that. But some countries are more enthusiastic about helping the Palestinians than others. However, if you were to see all the Palestinians moved away from Gaza, that would be, I guess, a tantamount to ethnic cleansing. And and I think that the EU would definitely like to not see that happen. That is so extreme. But that's what we—the language we've heard from Israel so far. You know, countries like oh, Germany, Hungary, and Austria will never publicly confront Israel, regardless of what happens. So it is very tricky to see what to do. And I think, you know, I think a domestic debate in each country does influence member states. And for example, in Ireland, there is a huge support for the rights of Palestinians, but in other countries less so. And in particular in Germany, because of their horrific history from the Holocaust, you don't see as many loud voices saying, well, we need to obviously support Israel's right to defend itself against terrorism. And, uh, you know, after the horrific um, terrorist attack on October 7th. But the question is whether Israel is in excess of that and engaging in what we've seen which is the de- demolition of houses which are should, or houses and municipal buildings schools colleges hospitals and so on which are protected under international humanitarian law as civilian objects you know so there's so many questions over that but so far we haven't seen those member states being critical of israel yet other than to say they have to abide by international humanitarian law but not actually coming out and criticizing it
0: shona murray europe correspondent with Euronews. news thank you very much this episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, with Graham Davidson, and the assistant producer was Olivia Peden. The clips were from DW News, the European Parliament, Fox News, and The Guardian. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.